So the, the purpose of this panel is to try and understand the state of play of local content. We want to know when we say local content in the oil and gas sector, what are we talking about? And we will discuss this from both an upstream and a downstream perspective. State of play as in what does the law say, what are the policies governing this? But more importantly, how many of our local companies actually play? It's one thing having a law, it's another thing coming to the ground. So it's not just to talk law and policy, it's also to talk reality. That's why I wanted to know who else from the sector was here. How many people are actually playing in the oil and gas upstream? What size and what are they doing? How many are in the medium stream and in the downstream? So that's basically what I want to try and achieve. And then the second thing I want to achieve today is to know what opportunities exist. So maybe I'm a caterer or maybe I produce something. Are there opportunities for me to penetrate and will the government agencies be in a position to help me? Maybe I do clothes, special types of clothes. Is there an opportunity that comes once a year for providing materials for people in the oil and gas sector? What do I need to do? How do I need to scale up to take advantage of that? So those are my two things. I want to know the policy and the law, and then I want to know the state of play and what opportunities are there. Are we, are we clear so far? Brilliant. So we're going to start. Egbert, please introduce yourself briefly and tell us what you do, okay. and then Hassan and then Senyu. Thank you very much. My name is Egbert Fable Jr. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Petroleum Commission, the regulator of Ghana's upstream petroleum space. Thank you. Hassan. Good morning. My name is Hassan Tampuli. I'm the Chief Executive of the National Petroleum Authority. We regulate, oversee, and more or less do everything in the downstream petroleum industry is the oldest of the streams. Yes. They are upstream, the middle stream, but we are the oldest of a century old stream. So even though you are down, you are older. They are older. And they, they are, are up, but they yeah. are younger. That, that, that cannot be true. <laughs> the up rests on the down. The up rests on the down. And he forgot to add that he's also in charge of the midstream as well. Oh, so okay. he's handling two streams. Okay. You see that? So there's he's a, a midstream as well. He's a very, your words, he's a very... He's a very big man. Big man. I see. So, and where are you then? I run the Chamber of Bulk Oil Distributors and was also an advisor to the Ministry of Energy. So, are you guys in the mid or the down or the up, the bulk oil distributors? The bulk oil distributors are mainly uh, mid and downstream um, players. Okay. Mid and downstream mid, mid and downstream players. But because I also sit on the Ministerial Advisory um, Board, I also have visibility on the upstream and some responsibility also on advice on the general okay. landscape as Hassan, well. can you explain to us the differences in the streams just for clarity we are talking of upstream mystery. what does it mean what's the difference okay so in terms of upstream when it comes to exploration appraisal development production of crude oil and natural gas all of these are constrained to the upstream sometimes it can be onshore sometimes offshore. All right, so appraisal, um, exploration, appraisal, development, production. And sometimes, to some extent, when they do some amount of um, refinery okay, or processing, still offshore, it would come under, under them. my, my learned senior, Egbert Fibo. So if the, the refinery is offshore, it's still there? Very well. But when it crosses the, the pipelines and then comes down to Ghana gas, and then it gets processed and so on and so forth. Then everything all the way until it gets to the final consumer Good. becomes midstream 
and then up to the downstream. Brilliant. So what are the activities in midstream? So you said exploration, appraisal, production, and development are upstream activities. That's correct. What are the midstream and downstream activities? So midstream will be gas, gas pipeline, construction, processing, and supply to various power producers and to industrial and commercial users. Brilliant. That will be like midstream, all right? When, and then downstream comes when the gas has been processed okay. or refined at the oil refinery mm-hmm. or the crude oil or importation of crude oil especially. So trading, importation, exportation of crude oil, petrol, diesel, NAFTA, LPG, and so on and so forth. All of them, when it comes to issues of ex- exportation, trading, distribution, storage, refining, uh, processing and so on and so forth, all the way until it gets to the final consumer becomes downstream. Brilliant. So when you get to the retail outlets to buy, then that is where the downstream ends. Good. So, I think it's made something. You know, with the upstream, they deal in dollars per barrel. So upstream with the, is dollars with the, per with barrel. The downstream, they deal with pesos per liter. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So the, upstream deal with dollars per barrel, yeah. and downstream is the pesos, pesos per liter. Per liter. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Again, by way of state of play, in terms of percentages, the private companies within the upstream, what percentage will be Ghanaian versus foreign? Midstream, Ghanaian versus foreign. Downstream, Ghanaian versus foreign. Just an idea. So if you take 10 players, how many of them will be foreign? How many of them will be indigenous? Can you help me? Okay, with the downstream, what we've done in Ghana is practically merged both. Okay. So we just speak about up and down. Good. You know, okay. So, so, so I shouldn't do mid. Okay. No, so up and down. Like. Yes. Help you me. So you have over ninety-five percent, as far as the number of players are concerned, being um, um, locals in the, in the downstream. Ninety-five. The upstream is a different thing. I'll leave it to. Um, when you say ninety-five percent of the local players, are you talking about the numbers or the value of what they do? Well, look at them in numbers then. But the in numbers. value terms, if you want to look at the very downstream part. Um, you have about 70% of the market share fully indigenous Ghanaian uh, players. The other 30% that's foreign. A good part of it is also still local because it's, it's, uh, it's with some in partnership with others. I get you. So you will end up with about 80% really um, the interest of indigenous Ghanaians you know, in the So the downstream the has a lot of local players. It's Majority it's, local players yes. downstream. But that was not a history some time back. Maybe you can take us back. What about the upstream? Well, okay. So I would say that petroleum, as we all know, a very technical area. Now, if you want to understand or appreciate really what takes place upstream, then you, you cannot but proceed from a certain standpoint of what really is the upstream sector. Good. So the upstream sector essentially looks at petroleum, and its exploration to production. And the value chain is seven. Uh-huh. In Ghana, when you want to do, let's say, you want to get crude, uh-huh. the, the, the value chain has been created is seven. It starts from exploration. When you explore, uh-huh. you also then make a discovery. Uh-huh. When you make a discovery, you will then appraise the discovery to know the extent of the discovery. Okay. Now, when you have appraised the discovery and have realized that this 
appraisal merits a development of the oil field, then you go to development of the field. Then from development, you now start production. This is when you pump the crude and have it lifted or piped or whatever. So after production, and presently for the Jubilee, the 10, and the Sankofa field, we are in the production phase. And so this is maybe 30, 40, 50 years, depending on the extent of the reserves. So after you produce for a period, you then start or go to the phase called abandonment, where you now abandon the wells because the wells will no longer be bringing up either any oil at all or if, even any oil at all. The quantity will be so small that it's not worth, you know, you're, you're spending any money on it. So when you abandon the wells also, then you then proceed to decommissioning. Now in each of these seven areas I've mentioned, there are opportunities for businesses and businessmen, and for that matter, indigenous Ghanaian businesses. So the government of Ghana, in its wisdom, has passed. We used to have a local content policy. It is still in place. But we've also passed through parliament the petroleum local content and local participation regulations of 2013, LI2204. And it provides that to, first of all, as I've indicated, Finding oil upstream is a very expensive exercise. The government of Ghana, to drill one well sometimes may cost you about $80 million. No, the government of Ghana doesn't have that money. Even if it has it, it is using it for other, you know, like schools, health, and other needs. So our financial architecture and technical architecture when it comes to exploring for crude is that if a foreign company comes to do exploration, the cost from exploration, discovery, and appraisal, and also development are all the cost of the foreign contractor. Mm -hmm. Now, when you start production, that's when you start lifting the crude. That is when the state, because GMPC is an equity holder, some 15% equity, GMPC will then lift crude on behalf of Ghana. So for every lifting that is done, the foreign company would say, I have spent maybe a billion dollars to develop and produce this field. So my, my 85% is, let's say if it's this bottle, this lift, when I lift, I may lift two times. And then GMPC will come in third time and lift in relation to 15, 15% maybe once. So that all the costs the foreign company incurred from exploration right through to production, it will be able to offset so then we in the industry have developed what is known as cost oil and profit oil. Mm. So when liftings are done, cost oil is taken out first on a prorated basis. And then what is left is known as profit oil, which Ghana and the whichever parties are partners will split amongst themselves. So for us, the question is that how do our people benefit from this? So LI2204 is in place and it requires and it's reserved. Regulation 46 of LI2204 provides that when a foreign company wants to come and provide any service to a contractor, that is maybe Talo, ENI, Cosmos, or maybe Aka Energy, um, ExxonMobil, that service foreign company needs to establish a joint venture company with an indigenous Ghanaian company. 
okay. and afford that indigenous Ghanaian company a minimum equity of 10% okay. in the joint venture mm. so that if you're able to negotiate well as an indigenous, and I know some indigenous companies that have even 51% equity in joint ventures with the foreign companies. And the value chain, as I've indicated, for each of these seven areas, there are so many opportunities. The only challenge is that it is capital intensive. So we see situations where the foreigners virtually carry, you know, our Ghanaian businesses. But then in an area like catering, for example, there are opportunities. In areas like fabrications, mm. because in doing the subsea production system, and also what they call the SEF, which is an acronym for subsea umbilicals, rises, and flow lines, there are opportunities. And all that we have to do, and we've seen some indigenous companies partner foreign companies in these JVs, and they are doing very well. I can mention quite a number of them. And I think that the, the, the president's focus is that, look, we need to change the narrative and ensure that our people, like Mr. Tim JC said, you know, take the commanding heights of the economy. Regrettably, some of our people who find themselves in some of these business opportunities rather become dormant and allow the foreign players to do everything. So they sit at home and say, I'm in a JV, but they will not be doing anything. And then maybe at the end of the month, they just go and they are paid about 10,000 US dollars just because they have to be. And then, since I've been at the commission, I've realized something. We have an army of engineers who come out of KNUST, Petroleum, who come out of KNUST, uh, UMAT, and what have you. All of them want jobs with the Petroleum Commission and GMPC. So if you are chief executive, you get calls from people. Meanwhile, government has reserved 10% or more equity in international service companies. And because of this phenomenon that I talked about, where the Ghanaian will say, I'm in a JV, but me, I don't have anything doing with the technical work. You are sitting at home, sometimes a $100 million contract for something to be done upstream by the JV. You go there and you ask the role of the Ghanaian in the JV. So I am providing administrative services mm. and also meet and greet. When the expatriates come, uh, we meet them at the airport and book hotels for them. And I said, no, we won't take this. So we've now said that. When projects are coming out, we take the project and we call the indigenous Ghanaian company and say, for this project, how many engineers are going to work on it? They are like sometimes 20. So we look at it, work the dynamics and say, you, the indigenous Ghanaian company, because of the obligation for technology to be transferred from the foreign company to the indigenous Ghanaian company, go and employ a minimum of five wow. engineers and put them on your payroll and second them to the JV to work so that that way, our petroleum engineers and the rest will also get jobs to do because the foreign companies don't want to mm. add on to their cost by employing. And I'm able to report that we have been able to get some, a lot of our youth employed in some of these JVs. Wow. And, and the story Great. is changing. Just a quick question. Do you distinguish between indigenous and local on the basis of what Michael said? Yeah. When companies say they are partnering with a local company, in many instances, some people think the local company could be a foreigner who is in Ghana, registered and incorporated a company here, and is behaving as local. Can you talk to us about okay, that? So I don't want to, I don't want to maybe mention specific company names, but there are a lot of banks operating in Ghana, for example. They are incorporated in Ghana, though they are, if you like, affiliates or businesses belonging to big banks, multinationals elsewhere. But they are incorporated in Ghana, so they are local banks. 
because under the Companies Act, if you are incorporated there, you, 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 you are seen as a local company, albeit multinational in quotes. So what we've done with the LI2204 is that we have shifted a bit deeper and said that to be qualified to be classified as an indigenous Ghanaian company, you must have 51% of the equity in the company owned by a Ghanaian or Ghanaians, and 80% of the management of that company has to be Ghanaians. Wow. So you can get a permit from the Registrar Generals in whatever classification, but when you come to a Petroleum Commission and say that you are an indigenous company, we will check and want to enter into a JV with a foreign company, we will check what is, what is the equity holding of the real shareholders. If it is 49%, and the a foreigner holds 51 percent who will tell you that you don't qualify to be called an indigenous company so we've gotten some companies to change their shareholding to enable them pass as indigenous ghanaian companies mm, brilliant stuff put your hands together i think that's a good one let's now come to the the downstream you've been here a much longer period uh hassan give us an idea of the you, you sort of you gave us the various things, this, uh, transportation and things, but break it down a bit and talk about where some opportunities have existed and the character of the companies that play in that space. So develop a bit more the sector that you oversee to give us a fair sense of what our guys are doing there. Um, I think, can we all show by hands um, how many of us know every filling station to use we call shell station <laughs> we used to call every filling station shell shell station is that petrol, uh, petrol shell petrol shell petrol shell Pet that's how it used to be so it used to be the case that downstream was dominated by shell exxon bp and so on and so forth so we didn't have any indigenous Ghanaian companies until thermal oil refinery was set up in 1960 okay. and they started refining in 1963 it was even then owned by, by the Italians. It, it used to be called, yeah. uh, uh, was it, Gaip. It used to be called Gaip. Until again, as Mr. Otin Jesse said, a champion under the commanding heights being owned by Ghanaians, nationalized the company in 1991. It was renamed Tamoy Refinery and so on and so forth. So it's, there's a history. Even when Tamoy Refinery was set up, it's these same multinationals that were procuring crude for Tamawa refinery. So the local capacity really wasn't there. But when, when you compare to upstream, and so downstream is not like heavy lifting like, like upstream. You don't need so much to be able to start business in the downstream. So we believe at some point the capacity of Ghanaians was built over time. Today, as we speak, out of 160 oil marketing companies, I think just about four, are foreign companies or that have foreign equity participation. Ah, but the four are the biggest. All right, now, <laughs> in terms of volumes, the, the Ghanaians control about 77%, the Ghanaian companies, obviously led by Goyle. All right, so we have just about, I think, Vivo, Shell, Total, Total Puma, and Engine. And even the Engine now is owned majority shares by a Ghanaian, uh, 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 indigenous Ghanaians. So everything in the downstream petroleum industry can be done by Ghanaians. 
What about transportation? Transportation, we have a transporter, a local man who owns over 600 trucks, an individual. Ghanaian? Ghanaian you know, individual, J.K. Hogley. Another one who owns almost 400 trucks. So we have the capacity now to be able to do everything downstream. Storage infrastructure, we have depots. We have Ghanaians who own depots, which can cost almost $100 million, and so on and so forth. We have the fuel trades. We have the, the chase. We have the, the, the Cyrus, and so on and so forth. Okay? So Ghanaians are capable of doing almost everything in the downstream petroleum industry, except perhaps refinery, mm. or a refinery and maybe gas processing, which graciously was done under the auspices of the government of Ghana, um, Ghana Gas, for instance. And in the year 2000 and 2017, February 2017, it was almost 80% run by the Chinese. And they started coming out with some demands on um, remuneration and so on and so forth, and put a bill before government. My very good friend, Dr. Benasanti, you know, was able to get all the Chinese out, replace them with Ghanaians, and today, Ghana Gas is run by 100% Ghanaians. All the engineers, everything, the manual used to even be in, in Chinese. The gas refinery manual I mean, was in Chinese. But the guys now are running the show. The Ghanaians are running the show. So we have the men and women capable of doing everything. Yes, upstream is a bit technical. And like I said, it's an area that we recently got involved in. And my Leonard Senior has sent some people for training. Hopefully, in the next 10 to 15 years, we'll be able to take commanding heights of that area. Even though, I mean, to, to start producing the world, you probably need about $4 billion dollars. I don't know how many Ghanaians, even the government of Ghana. Mm. You get it. But downstream, to start a station between 500 and 700,000 Ghana cities, you should be able to start a station, okay? Maybe doing pipelines, um, oil refinery, like I said. Dangote is doing um, 650,000 barrels per day refinery, costing almost $10 billion. Now, now, that's heavy lifting, okay? But we have small refineries. Aquaba refinery is doing about 500 barrels, 5,000 barrels per day. We have Platin that is doing almost 2,000 barrels per day. And all these ones, we can get Ghanaians to be able to get into those areas and then build their capacity. All too often, you see people want to come and start from the very top. You don't have the money. You come and then you see people already in the business, so you want to also start from the very top. Now to get a BDC license, you need $750,000. You see Senor Jose is running a BDC, and then you say, I want the BDC. Do you know how it started? So we will encourage people most of the time to start small, take every opportunity to learn, mm. build capacity. So, so let me ask a question. If you take normal manufacturers, they start as traders, importers, and then they, light, they start light manufacturing, and then they become large-scale manufacturers. Is that the way it is in your sector too? Where you start with a filling station, you grow to become maybe a bulk distributor and then a transporter. Is that the same trajectory of growth? You take somebody like Allied, Mr. Okujito. He started by even selling kerosene. kerosene. You know, door to door. Move from people's homes and sell small, small bulk capacity. And he started before. Now, he was the first indigenous OMC to be licensed. 
Wow. So after the MPA was set up, the first indigenous company to be set up was um, Allied Oil. Now it has a BDC that they may be controlling. But how are we going to be able to get our human resource to fit into that space? We have Ghanaians working in Houston, and they work on these rigs. They can deconstruct the technical, uh, mm. I mean, uh, what the name, perception we have about the upstream. Okay. We don't need it. We have Tama Oil Refinery. Tama Oil Refinery was run is run by Ghanaians. The engineers are not the problem. The problem you have with that are other things. Okay. All right, I don't want to discuss that, them here. So I don't think that the skill or the ability as a country to, to develop the skill needed to make Ghanaians command our sector right. is absent. It is present. It's the will and then the, the, the planning for I'm it. I'm going to ask Ebert a couple of quick questions. Then I will ask the Chamber of Mines what is different about their approach because is a resource we can use because it looks like oil and gas we seem to say things are changing local content is working can we say the same for you guys but talk a bit more about the AOGC thing you spoke exactly. about and then also how come we don't have a dangote in Ghana all right, thank you very much. Um, the AOGC is, is an acronym that stands for the Accelerated Oil and Gas Capacity Building Program. It's a, it's a flagship program of His Excellency President Akufuad, and essentially it is being run by the Petroleum Commission, and the charge is that go run this and make sure that a lot more of our people get to know what is involved in qualifying to work in industry. And I'll give you a very simple example. Many years ago, not too many years ago, I should say. I read a book, um, maybe, is it, is it not quite an autobiography, but it's titled Sam Jonah and the Making of Ashanti. Mm -hmm. And if we all know Sam Jonah. So when Sam Jonah, in that book, you find that when he left set form at Adisadel, his father was a miner at Ashanti Goldfields. So while I was waiting for his results, he decided to, you know, work underground as a laborer wow. in Obuasi. So... He was put underground, was shoveling, blah, 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 blah. And then, because he had A-levels, you could see that there was a difference between him and, if you like, excuse me, the, the everyday routine laborer. And so, he was picked out. Over a short period, he got promoted up. Not too big a promotion, but he got up there. And then, they, they, they realized something different about him. And so, he was put on a scholarship to Cambon School of Mines where he went to get his first degree and then came back. I think just before he left, he had been promoted to supervisor, a ship supervisor or something. So he went, got the master's degree, came back, and then over a period also worked very hard and was sent back for his master's. When he got back, after a few years of working and some rapid promotions, he became an expatriate chief executive officer of Anglo Gold Ashanti. Yes, in his expatriate. own country. Yes, he wasn't appointed as a Ghanaian, but he was appointed as an expatriate and made chief executive. Now, the lesson in there is that, like Senor was saying, a lot of our youth go and source scholarships and say, I want to go and do MBA, oil and gas management. I want to go and do LLM, oil and gas. I haven't seen any of those graduates, many of whom are returned to Ghana anyway, risen to become even managing director or chief executive of any of the IOCs or international service companies working in Ghana. Mm. On the contrary, a lot of the top honchos in these IOCs are people who dirty their hands like Sam Jonah from the ground. And so to dovetail into another thing, about a year 
also a goal. On this, there's a project known as the Takradi Tama Interconnection Project, where um, a pipeline, subsea pipeline, is being laid from Takradi to Tema to enable gas be piped from Takradi to the Tema power enclave. And so the company working on it, because the Petroleum Commission also, when we say local content, it involves localization of rules, of expatriate rules. So work permit applications will come to us, we'll vet and see whether we have Ghanaians who can do the role. If we don't have Ghanaians, then we allow the expatriates to come and all. And then we also have a duty imposed on us by law to ensure that even where we allow expatriates to come in, there must be a Ghanaian successor in the pipeline. So pipeline, subsea pipeline is going to be laid, fabricated and laid. And then the company brings about 200 work permit applications for welders. It's like 200 welders. We have welders in Ghana. So why are you bringing 200 expatriates to come and weld? Some will be taking our $5,000 a month, blah, blah, blah. You go into the tent and realize that, look, there are safety standards. And so it is not your regular routine, excuse me to say, that they send welders or burglar-proof welders and what have you, but high-level precision welding. And to be able to do that, of the many or the few examples, you can mention the American Welding Society and the Canadian Welding Bureau. If you don't have these certifications, you will not be employed to do these things. So we go into some kind of a haggle with the company and say, look, you would have to take 200. If you, are, you want to bring 200, we will not allow you to bring the 200. After all, if it's a building, you start from foundation before you get to the roof. So you can stagger. But in any event, we will allow you to bring in just 90. And for the 90, you would have to take 20 Ghanaians outside to an international welding facility to train them. They accepted it, went away, and later came back. Maybe they thought we were joking, but we insisted that for the 20 Ghanaians that will go out, we want their passport bio pages so that on the day they leave, you come and tell us that they left Ghana, we'll be able to go to immigration to check whether these people have indeed traveled out of Ghana. Maybe that worried them a bit. So they came and said, look, we, we want to look at it another way. So you find an institution for us to train the people in Ghana. The challenge then was that which Ghanaian has American Welding Society certification to be able to train these people. We combed and combed and combed, and we found one in Takra, the Danes Engineering. Went to Danes and informed the company. They went to inspect. They said, oh, this is good class. The, the, the instructor is very good. His facilities are good. So we went around the country, looked for 20 orders from the north right through to the south, got them. And as we speak, they are in training in Takra. They, they should be graduating in about, about the next couple of months.